0: serve an excellent God, amen, whose name is above all names. And the Bible says that one day, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. We come to serve a God whose name means something. God whose name shows his character, his holiness, his righteousness, his beauty. If you would be so kind, stand to your feet with your Bibles in your hands and turn with me to the book of James, the book of James, as we will continue our series, Developing a f- mature faith. Developing a mature faith. James chapter 1, verse 13 through 18. When you get there, say, Got it? Yeah. Amen. If you're not there, just say, Wait. We will wait for you. James chapter 1, verse 13 through 18. And the precious, authentic, magnificent, inerrant, and sufficient word of God reads, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, And he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Today we want to tag this text How to fight against temptation and win. How to fight against temptation and win. In your bulletins, you can see a worksheet so that you can follow along with me throughout the sermon. Let us pray. Gracious Father, I thank you for this opportunity to stand before this, your people, your sheep, the ones whom you died for, the ones who you purchased with the blood of your son. And I pray, Father God, at this time, at this hour, that you would speak to our hearts, Father, that you allow us to have ears to hear, Lord, and a heart to obey your word. I pray, Father God, that you would allow me, Father God, to completely decrease, to completely leave and allow your Holy Spirit to use me for your glory. Allow me to preach, not to perform, not to entertain, Father God, not to impress, Lord, but to impart your word into your people's hearts in order that we can grow as a people to mature in our faith, in order that we can glorify you. So speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Speak, Lord, for your servants need a word. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. How to fight against temptation and win. How to fight against temptation and win. One day, my wife and I were traveling And we passed by a church whose sign read, I can resist anything except temptation. A church sign read, I can resist anything except temptation. And after reading the sign, my wife and I, we we both were a bit rattled because we did not understand how a church could send that message to the world. The church should be the place where victory is experienced. The church should be the place where we go to God's word to find the answer to our problems. The church shouldn't be a place where we tell the world that we do not have victory over sin. In James chapter 1, verse 13 through 18, James continues to to talk to us about tests, just as he did in the previous 12 verses. But this time, he is being specific. He's talking about a, a different type of test, for there are two types of tests. The first test that we experience is called a trial. The first test that we experience is called a trial or trials. And and trials are situations that are allowed by God and and designed by God to purify our faith in order that we will grow. Trials are, are, are situations that are designed by God, allowed by God in order that we will grow. And we saw in verses 1 through 12 that that James was talking about the testing of our faith and he was talking about us going through trials. But the second type of test that we go through is called temptation. It's called temptation. And temptation is an enticement to sin. Temptation is an enticement to sin that is not produced by God. Temptation is man's oldest problem. Temptations and trials, they do have one thing in common. If you look at verse 2, we remember and see that James says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. You see that when. James is saying not if you meet trials, but when you meet trials. And we see James doing the same thing in verse 13. He says, Let no one say when he is tempted. He's not saying if he is tempted, but when he is tempted, because temptations come to every single human being. There is no human being that has ever lived that has not faced temptation, that has not faced an enticement to sin. And the reason why we want to study against temptation is because we want to understand the devastating results that we will experience if we don't learn to resist temptation. If our conclusion is like that church sign, if our conclusion uh, and our philosophy and our theology says that we can do anything except resist temptation, then we are in a lot of trouble. Look what James says in verse 15. He tells us the end result of temptation. The end result, he says, then desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. A person who goes through their whole life unable to resist temptation is a person that eventually will die. And James is not just talking about this physical death, but James here is talking about this the spiritual death. James is talking about this person experiencing the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. As Christians, we must be able to fight temptation. We must know how to, to resist sin. And the words of John on, if we do not kill sin, sin will kill us. It will kill us. And today's text, James gives us four things that we must guard ourselves against if we are going to be successful in battling temptation. Four things that we must guard ourselves against if we are going to be successful against temptation. And the first thing that James tells us that we must guard ourselves against is deflection. Deflection. We must guard ourselves against deflection. Look at verse 13 and verse 14. James says, let no one say when he is tempted that I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he goes on. And then he says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. His own desire. Deflection or to deflect means to blame shift. It means to blame shift. James here in this text, he he sees that his brothers and sisters in Christ are, are, are probably saying something that is not true. And he's addressing this problem. He's probably noticing that when people fall into sin, that the first thing that they are, are doing, and rather than taking personal responsibility for the temptation and for the sin, what they're doing is they're blame shifting. They're deflecting. They're pointing to someone else or some other cause. But James in this text says that when we are tempted, it is a result of our own desire. It is a result of our own desire. I think that it's interesting that when we are tempted and when we fall into sin, that we do like to point to other people and other things besides ourselves. When we find ourselves going off on somebody, we like to blame the boss. You know, I wouldn't have went off on you if if our boss didn't cause me to do this or didn't do this to me. Or I wouldn't have cursed at my wife and treated her so nasty if she had done this. Or I wouldn't have become an alcoholic if my father wasn't an alcoholic. Or I would be uh, more susceptible to come to church if my grandmother had Can We just find all types of excuses and, and people to blame when we find ourselves being tempted or falling into sin. I wouldn't be a homosexual if God had not created me this way. I wouldn't have to lie and steal if there were better jobs available. I wouldn't have to hit the corner and sell weed if, if, if somebody would hire me. You know, it's the man that's keeping me down, that's forcing me to live this way. We have a tendency to blame shift when we are tempted. We have a, a tendency to, to put it on someone else. And you know what? When we look back at the first temptation and man's first sin, we see our first parents doing the same thing. God came to Adam. Say, said, Adam, where are you? Adam said, I'm hiding behind this bush. He says, why are you hiding behind this bush? We're hiding because we're naked. Who told you you were naked? Right? God then holds Adam accountable for his actions. And what does Adam do? He says, the woman you gave me. Just a few verses before Adam is writing a poem, he said, flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. Talking about how much he loved Eve, and all of a sudden he's filing for a divorce. And then Eve does the same thing God speaks to Eve, and Eve says, Well, this serpent deceived me. Nobody wants to take responsibility for their own sins. And James. Here he uses the term of endearment. He says, my beloved brothers, my my brothers. He's he's trying to help them in a pastoral way to see that it is important when we sin, that we understand that we are a problem. We are the problem. Yes, Satan is a tempter. Yes, Satan brings temptation our ways. Yes, the world promotes promiscuity and and, and dirtiness and, and filth. But Satan cannot make us do anything. The world cannot make us do anything. When I sin, it is because I wanted to sin. It is because of my own desire. And James is saying that when we fall short, when we sin, which we will fall short, and which we will sin, he's saying, own up to it. Take responsibility. The worst thing that we can do when we sin is blame God. The worst thing that we can do when we sin is deflect or shift the blame on God. Look at what James says in verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted. I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one james says we cannot blame god for two reasons number one god cannot be tempted and number two he himself tempts no one james is saying that god is perfect and he is absolutely good there is no evil in him and some people say when they sin that that you know i I sin and this happened in my life It, it must have happened because it was the will of god god must have really wanted me to sin in order that this can happen God is not evil. God does not desire us to sin. He desires us to obey him, to love him, to cherish him, to to be in his presence. There is no evil in God. God will not tempt us to sin, and God cannot be tempted to sin. I really like verse 17. Look at verse 17. Look what James says about God. He says, Every good and perfect gift is from where? Where? Above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. I like what James says in verse 17 and how he talks about God the Father. He says that every good and perfect gift comes from above. It comes from God the Father. And then he gives him a term. He says, the Father of lights. He points to to the lights, to the stars of heaven. And James here is trying to show us something. He's pointing to the to the heavens and and he's saying, look at the the lights in the heaven. God is the father of the lights. But unlike the the the, the lights in the heavens, unlike the stars, unlike the sun, unlike the moon, God doesn't change. God doesn't move. God doesn't have a, a shadow. There's no variation in Him. He shows that God is the ultimate light. Because he does not change. And what does that have to do with deflection? What does that have to do with me fighting temptation? It has everything to do with us fighting temptation. And the reason why is because this. James is trying to show us that God is unchangeable. And since God is unchangeable during our times of temptations, we should go to that which does not change. We should go to him, the one who is truth. Wouldn't it be something if God could change? Wouldn't it be something if we served a, a God that, that did alter his behavior over the decades and over the centuries? That would be horrible. If we saw that God was changing and that he was doing things, we couldn't put our trust in him. We couldn't put our trust in his word. But because we know that God is unchangeable, we can put our faith and trust in him. And if God says that we can overcome temptation in the word and that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength, then that doesn't change. That doesn't change. We must guard ourselves against deflection. We must learn not to blame shift and put it on someone else. We must take up the attitude of Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. The apostle Paul said, I am the chief amongst all sinners. He didn't look at other people and their sin, but he knew. <laughs> he knew his own perfections. He was well aware of the fact that he is a sinner. Yes, but a repentant sinner. We must take responsibility for our sins. The second thing that James shows us in this text that we must guard ourselves against. Verse 14 says these words. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. We must not only guard ourselves against deflection, but we also must guard ourselves against tainted desires. We must guard ourselves against tainted desires. Having a desire is not a bad thing. The human race would cease to exist if God had not created us with desires. He created us with a a natural desire to, to want rest when we are tired. He created us with a desire to eat in order that we would not go hungry and starve ourselves to death. He created us with a desire for sexual intimacy in order that we would be able to procreate. He created us with a desire to be treated justly. But our desires, because of our human nature, can become tainted and have become tainted. When we desire, these things that I just mentioned, outside of the will of God, is wrong. To desire things outside of God's will simply means to do things that satisfy our own flesh despite it being dissatisfying to God. James here says that our our desires are tainted, our desires are are affected. The desire for food becomes tainted when we eat it to the point of gluttony. The desire that God has given us for, for sexual intimacy becomes tainted when we seek it outside of marriage. Sex is the marriage act. God created sexual intimacy to be performed in the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. So I to put emphasis on that in case some people was confused. created, I'm just going to call it the marriage act. And when we do, uh, when we have sexual intimacy inside the covenant of marriage, it is beautiful. When the marriage bed is undefiled, it is wonderful. It is what God desires and what God designed. But when we take it outside of the covenant of marriage, it is filthy. It is distasteful to God. It is nasty. And it's the same way with all of our desires. When we take our desires and we allow our desires to get away from us, to to run away from us, it becomes distasteful and it becomes wrong. I found out that everyone doesn't deal with the same tainted desires. Your desires may not be my desires. Your issues of, of, of lust may not be my issues of lust. That's what James means here in the text when he keeps saying enticed by his own desire. We each have our own desire. We each have things and, and lusts that, that, that are taken, uh, that are different than the other person. Our own desires, our, our non-pure desires, it's our own lust, and we have our own desires because as a result of inherited tendencies, as a result of our environment, as a result of our personal upbringing, as a result of our personal choices, but, but we must learn to guard ourselves against our own desires. Least they kill us. Least they kill us. If we don't guard ourselves against our tainted desires, it eventually will end up in death, eternal separation from God. A Christian cannot be a person that says, I cannot resist temptation. A Christian cannot be a person that does not fight against their sins and wage war against their sins. A Christian is a person who understands how offensive sin is to God. And how it was so offensive to God that God allowed his very own son to die for that cause. How many of you parents will allow your children to die for a social cause? How many of you will allow your children to die for, if, if someone was to tell you, if your child was willing to, to die for this cause, this cause would be eliminated. How many of your parents would offer? God offered his son to die for sin because sin is offensive to God. God, a holy and righteous, a pure God, cannot dwell in the midst of sin. Our sins separate us from God. And as Christians, we must wage war against our sins. We must understand that we have a job, and our job is to do our best to keep our tainted desires down, is to do our best to protect ourselves against that old man, against that old nature, against that old flesh, is to do our best to constantly suppress suppress the feelings of of sin and suppress the feelings of, of wrong desires. It's our job to do it, and the reason that we do it is because we understand what God did for us. He sacrificed his son. Allowed his son to experience wrath that we all deserve. That's why Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord your God, which is your reasonable service. Because God sacrificed his son, he wants us to make a sacrifice for him. And how do we guard ourselves against our tainted desires? Pastor Jamal, I grew up in a household where there was no Christians, where Christianity was not taught, where the Bible was not read and I, I lived this way and, and the way that I wanted to live for the first 18 years of my life I've got 18 years of garbage deal, just, 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 just stacked up in my memory breaks versus 3 years of, of church. How in the world do I guard myself against these desires? By the age of 5 I had already viewed Pornography, and, and by the age of 10, I had already, I already smoked weed, and by the, the age of 15, I was already promiscuous. How in the world do I fight against the flesh? How? The Bible gives us a couple of things to do. And, and the first thing that we want to do is look at James, he says, our own desires. The first thing we must do is we must identify. Our lust, we must identify the things that are causing us to sin. A lot of times when we talk about sin, we talk about it in a very generic way. And even when we talk, when we go to the Lord at the end of the week or the end of the day, we just repent, Lord, forgive me for my sins. But if we just do that, if we never take the time to sit down and to think about specifically what those sins are, we'll never be able to win against them. Proverbs chapter 4, 23 tells us that we are to guard our heart with all diligence. Guard our heart with all diligence for out of the heart flows the issues of life. Guard our heart. The heart is where the battle is won. Now what is the heart? He's not talking about this little heart that we draw and that we think of on Valentine's Day. Our heart is our intellect, it's our emotions. Guard your emotions, guard your intellect, guard your your mind, for out of it flows the issues of life. So the first thing we want to do is identify our tainted desire. Let's say your tainted desire is lying. Let's just say you have a proclivity towards not telling the truth. If that is what I'm struggling with, is that is my own desire, I want to look at that. When is it that I'm, I'm lying? When do I tell lies most? Do I tell lies because I want to impress the next person? Do I find myself stretching the truth because I want to look good in front of people? And a stretch truth is not a truth. And where do we get off coloring lies? It was just a white lie. Just a purple or pink lie. A lie is a lie. So if I'm struggling with lying, I know that I'm constantly finding myself lying. I want to attack that issue. I want to find out when am I most likely to, to lie. I want to find out why am I lying. But most importantly, I want to wage war against lying. I want to go to God's word and read warnings about liars, warnings like Revelations 21.8 that says all liars will partake in the lake of fire. I want to, to see the, the damage of lying, how how lies can tear apart families like Jacob and Esau. I want to see how lying can can affect the relationship between a husband and a wife. I want to study that issue. I want to to study it in order that I would be able to attack it. I want to go to God's word and memorize verses that deal with truth and that go against lying. We have to guard our heart. We have to identify our issues. And not only do we have to guard our heart and identify our issues, but then we need to pray against that issue. Jesus in the Lord's prayer said, pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We need to be praying against the temptation to commit the sin that we are dealing with. And we don't need to wait till we're in the situation to do it. Don't wait till the young man has his arm around you with some Chris Brown playing. And some rose petals on the floor talking about, I just want to come over and watch a movie with you. Don't wait till you're in the situation to start praying. (laughs) Don't put yourself in a situation, first of all, but don't wait till then. Wake up praying against the things that you know will cause you to fall or stumble. I prayed, Pastor. When did you pray? I want to pray against it. Lord, give me the strength not to tell this person off. Give me the strength not to to, to be angry and sin. Give me the strength not to tell this lie. Give me the strength not to envy when I go over my sister-in-law's house and I see all that you have blessed her with. Give me the strength to do what you have called me to do. I'm going to go to God's word and we want to see what God's word says. Psalms 119 verse 9 through 11 says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word with my whole heart, I, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. That I may not sin against you. I have stored up your word. We have to store up the word of God in our hearts. And that's why we start at the memory verse of the month. We start at the memory verse of the month in order that we can get used to storing up God's word. Because in times of temptation, that is what's going to keep us Jesus is the perfect example of that. In Matthew chapter 4, in the wilderness, when Satan came, Jesus spoke scripture. Here he is, the word of God, speaking a specific word from God. Quoting Deuteronomy chapter 4, he's speaking scripture. Whatever your issue is, identify it. Pray against it. Find some verses that you can store up in your heart in order that you can wage war against it. Passive Christians... Will continue to fall and continue to not hear and experience the voice and the presence of the Lord. And a person who is a a passive Christian who's not waging war on their sin should not, if, if they live their life that way, calling themselves a Christian, at some point they have to look at themselves and see Am I following Christ? My sheep hear my voice, and a a stranger they will not follow. If you love me, the Bible says, you will do what? Keep my commandments. A Christian is a person who sees something that's dissatisfying God and that commits themselves to wage war against it. Wage war against it. Not only do you want to do that and just read God's word, but you want to meditate on God's word. You want to study God's word. You just don't want to just just read it really quickly. You want to take time to dissect it, to meditate it, to to ponder on it. A person who just reads the word of God versus meditating on the word of God is like two people who prepare tea differently. The first person takes hot water and he puts it in a mug. And he sets it there. And then he goes and he gets a tea bag out of the counter and he dips the tea bag in the water really quickly and takes it out. How many of you will want tea like that? Nobody? Nobody? I know one of my ministers got their hands raised behind me, right? Nobody would. <laughs> because there's no effect. But the second person, the person who knows how to make tea, they take that tea bag and they set it in the hot water and they let it absorb until the tea that's in that bag comes and it consumes the water bit by bit. And before you know it, you have a great cup of tea. That's what God's word is like. When we just read through it flippantly and quickly quickly and randomly, it's not going to affect us. I've heard people say, come to me, Pastor Jamal, I'm reading the Bible, but it's not helping me. It's not working for me. And that's because reading in of itself, we only can retain so much, but we have to meditate on it. We have to chew it up. We have to study it. Psalms 1 tells us that those who meditate on God's word, that they will have success. Along with Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, along with Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, it tells us to, to think on these things, the things that are pure, the things that are lovely, the things that are, are holy, the things that are noble, the things that are right. We have to meditate it. And the next thing that we must do if we are going to fight against our tainted desires is we must make sure that we have someone who's going to hold us accountable. We need someone in our life that knows our sin issues, the things that tempt us, in order that that person would would hold us accountable. Accountability partner is critical to fighting sin. Having someone, inviting someone into your heart, into your life that, that knows what's going on and that can give you wise counsel (laughs) <laughs> is a great benefit yeah. is a great benefit accountability partner is a, is a person who you trust to tell you the truth is a person who you trust to, to call sin out of your life is a person who's going to tr- speak the truth in grace yeah. now if I'm getting someone to hold me accountable I don't want to get someone who's struggling with the same issues as me Brother, I need you to hold me accountable, man. I just can't stop cursing. And then he said, yeah, I'll hold you accountable, then curses. That's not going to (laughs) help. Get someone that's having victory in that area. Someone who's been through that. Someone who can help you. And that's difficult because we stay in a society that is so individual individualized we we stay in a time this worst in this Western culture where it, it's it's not really popular to let people into our heart and let people know the deep things that's going on we stay in a Twitter society a Facebook society we stay in a society where we'll tell people just just little things that's happening where we're going where we're coming from but but we but we seldom seldom, seldom are able to to open up our hearts to someone and say this is the sin that I'm dealing with He's to get somebody that's going to love you. That's going to do it in a way of love, but that's going to tell you that sin is damaging. Sin is damaging. A passive Christian is not going to experience the presence and the peace of God Listen to Paul's description of, of him fighting sin and, and the way that we need to fight sin. Listen to what, what Paul said. This is not a, a passive statement that he says in Romans chapter 8, verse 13. He says, put to death the deeds of the body and you will live. That's us being active. That's us going after our sin. He says, put to death the deeds of the body and you will live. Which means that if we are not putting to death our, our tainted desires, and we allow our tainted desires to control us, and we indulge in them, then that means that we will not live. We have to be past. We have to be active and not passive. We have to control our desires. Jesus said it this way, and if your right hand causes you to sin, he says, massage it. Huh? No, he says, cut it off. If your right hand causes you to sin, he says, cut it off. Not just cut it off, but then he said, throw it away. (laughs) Now, Jesus was not saying that we should walk around cutting off body parts and gouging out eyes. But what he is saying is that we need to be radical in our approach to dealing with our sin. So I don't want anyone walking in here with a patch over their eye or (laughs) the aesthetic hand next week. No lawsuits. Amen. Jesus is saying do everything that you can to put it to death. Put it to death. Counsel the cable channels that cause you to lust. Stop reading the romance novels <laughs> that cause you to sweat. Put it to death. Wage war against your sin. The third thing that we must guard ourselves against is we must guard ourselves against deception. We must guard ourselves against deception. Look at verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Lured and enticed by his own desire. We must guard ourselves against deception. You see that word lured? You see enticed to be lured means to be drawn away from. To be drawn away from. It is a, a description of, of wild game being lured into a trap. That's what Satan thinks of us. He thinks of us as wild game. He thinks of us as a fish in the pond. Bible says he's like a lion seeking at whom he can devour. He, he thinks of us like a fish in a pond. He, he, he puts out a, a fish, uh, a, a hook, and he, he puts bait on it, and he just dangles it. He just dangles it. But he's not ultimately the person to blame. The person to blame ultimately is ourselves because we have these desires for it anyway. Satan just highlights what we already want. That's why we got to pray. God, change my desire. But we got to fight. God, help me not to be put in a situation where i would be susceptible to fall. But Satan wants to lure us in. He, he wants to put that little worm on the fish and he wants us to, to bite wants us to bite. He's fishing every day. He's luring us every day and we have to guard ourselves against his deception. He is so good at it. He's so good at it. He's been doing this for thousands of years. We have to guard ourselves against talking ourselves into why we should do something. You know? A lot of times we try to go as close as we can to the line of sin without jumping over. right here, I'm not sinning God (laughs) we're deceiving ourselves thinking that we're strong enough to live right on the edge of sin and sooner or later we're hooked, we tell ourselves "This, this little bit won't hurt this little bit won't hurt this little thought that's going on in my, in my head about telling somebody off, it, it won't manifest. Me punching at the air in the house, oh, I should have said. <laughs> it ain't gonna happen. <laughs> I got control of this. You know, it's okay for us to move in together and to try to live together with my boyfriend. It's okay for us, we not going. <laughs> He's gonna be in his room, I'm gonna be in mine. Like roommates. It's okay. Won't hurt me. This is just a little problem. This is not a big sin. It's a little sin. Ah, little sin. Little sin is like like the all that we're experiencing. <laughs> we we think it's little, but really it's great. And then when we look back on it and we see the damage that it has done, we think, how in the world did I get here? We got here because we were lured and enticed by our own desires. Satan dangled something, but it was our own desires that enticed us. The way that we fight against this deception is to be constantly in God's word, but also to realize that even in the midst of our temptation. As 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, that there is no temptation that has overtaken us that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not allow us to be tempted beyond our ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape. That you may be able to endure it. When we find ourselves being deceived, being lured, and being enticed, instead of jumping over, we must remind ourselves of what God said, that God will give me a way of escape. And a lot of times that way of escape, it's not a, a big red sign that says over here. It's not a police officer knocking at the door saying that you're double parked out here. A lot of times it's that still side voice called the Holy Spirit, the gift that God gave us to know when to do something and when not to do it. But we have to make sure that we listen. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is talking to those who love God. It's talking to those whom God has redeemed constantly as we are in his word, as we are worshiping him, as as we are in his presence. But we want to make sure that we are listening. The final thing that we must guard ourselves against is we must guard ourselves against disobedience. We must guard ourselves against disobedience. Look at verse 15. Then desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. We must guard ourselves against disobedience and what I I mean by that is this is that when we're in the moment where we we feel tempted and we're at the edge and we feel like we're going to sin we have to remind ourselves that sin is disobeying God that it is offensive to God and that if we indulge in sin it's just a matter of time before we can die in sin we have to remind ourselves that disobedience is not okay, that, that, that obeying God is what we have been called and created to do. Amen. We have to tell ourselves constantly that a little sin does a lot of damage. Amen. Sin brings sadness, sorrow, and separation from God. Amen. We have to guard ourselves against deflection and take personal responsibility. We must guard ourselves against our tainted desires by waging war against the flesh and against our desires. We must guard ourselves against deception and not allow ourselves to be lured or enticed to sin. And we also must guard ourselves against this blatant disobedience. If you know that there is an area in your life that you are falling short, listen to me. And if you if you know that there is an area in your life that that is causing you not to have a a good working relationship with God listen to me don't be deceived don't let it linger don't allow it to stay around fight it kill it do your best to battle it because what you are doing and what I, what we are doing is we are allowing sin to reign and when sin reigns it It pours. It pours. No one started out saying, When I grow up, I want to be a homeless person with a drug addiction. It happens one point, one place at a time. No one says, When I grow up, I want to be this person who has lost everything or, or who has lost his, his family because of adultery, it starts one thought at a time. How close is the line between pornography and adultery? It's so close that it's not a line. No one says these things. What happens is this sin reigns. It takes over one piece at a time. It's a slow fade, a slow death. Our only hope to defeat this is to remind ourselves of God God's will. Look at the last verse, verse 18. Last verse, verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of God that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. God, for Christians, he saved us by his will and he brought us forth by his word. He has a purpose for us. He has a a plan for us. He has created us to be the first fruit of, of the rest of his creatures, which means he has created us and allowed us to experience him first. Before the new heavens and the new earth, before, before the, 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 the state of, of, of perfection, he has allowed us to experience his goodness, his perfection, his love, and his care. And we, as his people, should respond with gratitude. We re- should respond with gratitude and with hope because we know that Christ is our hope and Christ is our example. The Bible says these words in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Christ knows your weaknesses. Christ knows my weaknesses. And Christ died in order that he would become our high priest and sympathize with our weaknesses. It doesn't mean give us a pass, but he knows what you're going through. And while you're going through it, if you go through it with him on your mind, you will come through it. Amen. The Bible says that in every way Christ was tempted just as we are, but yet he was without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Christ sympathizes with our weaknesses, and he says in our time of need, in our times of temptation, in our times of desire, let us go to Christ. The one who has called us, the one who has declared us righteous, the one who has given us his spirit, the one who loves us enough to lay down his life in our place. Let us go to him, the one who is called the rock of ages, the one who is the great lamb, the great shepherd, the one who is for us and not against us. Let us go to the one that does not change, the one who who has went to prepare a place for us, the one who cares more about us than we can ever care about ourselves, the one who allows us to experience new grace and new mercy every morning. The one who too promised us that if we keep our minds stayed on him, that he would give us a a perfect peace, a peace that passeth all understanding. The one that tells us that he is able to keep us from falling. The one who is faithful. In times of temptation, guard yourself against your desires. Guard yourselves against deception and guard yourselves against disobedience. Take responsibility. I'm the chief of sinners. God is the God of grace, and he is able. Let us pray. Gracious Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Father, because you have created us to have a relationship with you, to worship you, to be in your presence. You have created us, Father God, to be be personal with you. I thank you, Father God, for creating us that way, and I pray, Lord, that you would continue to give us the grace to fight against the things that would hinder us experiencing your presence in a very real and close way. I pray for these your people, Father God, and for myself, Lord, that you would give us the strength in times of temptation to know, Father God, that sin is deceptive and it ultimately leads to death. That you would give us the grace, Father God, to not be like a child playing with a lighter who constantly is telling himself, this is cool, this won't harm me. But to be like a firefighter, Father God, and realize that that is dangerous and it will kill. Help us, Father God, to put aside our pride and to let people into our lives and let people know that we're struggling with sin in order that we can have a brother or sister in Christ to encourage us and to help us make it over. We thank you, Father. In Christ's name.